This is Daniel Figella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. This is our Thursday episode, so you know what that means. We'll be focusing on making the business case for AI in the enterprise. What does making the business case really mean? Well, it means a lot of things. It means anything that will essentially get the C-suite to say yes to a project. We need to be able to match the right AI application to the right business problem. We need to be able to potentially understand the state of our data and our company to know if we can actually leverage a certain application. And we need to make the ROI case. We need to be able to convey what is the short and the long-term value of this particular project or initiative. Sometimes that's short-term financial ROI, but that's never the whole picture. We've also got to paint the picture for strategy. So there's a lot of moving parts to make AI make its way into the enterprise. If you sell AI products or services, then that's a topic obviously dear to your heart. But if you're looking to buy AI or deploy AI in your company, you still have to understand these same skills. And we want to shed more light on that process. We believe that the people who are the catalysts, who genuinely understand how to make the business argument for AI and how to pick the right projects are going to be the people who make a big dent in their enterprise and in their industry in general in terms of overhauling it with artificial intelligence. We interviewed this week Scott Nowson. He is the artificial intelligence lead for the Middle East for PwC. Scott has a PhD in NLP, and Scott is an excellent interviewee. I've got a great relationship with Scott. He was on one of our previous episodes. If you go to our SoundCloud or iTunes, you search for Scott Nowson. He was in a previous episode about AI adoption. He speaks this week about the three phases of making the business case. So what does it look like to actually break up this business case presentation into three different parts? What do you need to put together to be able to give yourself the best chance of getting the C-suite to say yes, of getting a sign-off, getting that pilot started, getting that deployment uh, actually rolling? And Scott does a great job of breaking that down. I think that these three phases obviously could be thought of in many different ways. There's probably a lot of ways to conceptualize it, but I think this is a useful lens to look through. So without further ado, this is Scott Nowson here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Scott, the next question here is around building digital maturity. When it comes to adopting AI, It's not just about plugging it in and having it work. It's also about getting our digital infrastructure right, building our teams in a new way, potentially organizing our our IT structure in some different fashion. That often feels like a hurdle, feels like a barrier, feels like a reason not to do AI. How should enterprise leaders think about that? It's not clearly just a negative, but clearly it is a bit of a cost, it is a bit of a hurdle. How do you like to frame it? I frame it pretty much like that, that it can be a hurdle. That understanding of AI and where it sits on your journey and, and that it is part of a journey is critical. I've actually heard it discussed on on the podcast before by the likes of Ian Wilson. Yeah, you know, the, yeah, the yeah. world The world invests all the time in, in digital transformation. That's been one of the key things, the consultancies and, and that power the world right now. But that's about aligning systems and labeling the generation data. And then there comes AI transformation. You know, this is this is after you've gotten all your data ducks in a row, then we can look at AI because having a long-term AI strategy is key to making it a success. But key to that is having your data strategy in place. It's really hard to avoid that. It's just going to be more successful. But I temper that by saying this should not be a limiting factor for getting started with AI. This is, you need to be thinking long-term and short-term. It's perfectly appropriate to start with, 
you know, small in-house proofs of concept or to use off-the-shelf cognitive services from, from a Microsoft or an IBM, say. So there are definitely barriers and hurdles. And, you know, in this region, in the Middle East, we find a lot of clients who maybe aren't as mature in their data strategy yet are passionate about getting to AI. Yeah, and yeah. we like to guide them from both directions. Here's how you get started quickly. Here's how you can get some immediate value. But here are the steps you need to take to, to get there long term. And vendor companies, I'm just thinking about maybe this, even the software side, not even a consultancy sort of like you folks, you know, they often have to be the ones to introduce the C-suite to the fact that, yes, we can help you prevent payment fraud. Yes, we can help you to whatever, you know, count the number of people that enter your retail store, whatever the case may be. But, you know, this and this and this are also going to have to be required to start working with AI. And that often feels like this, this extra, you know, this extra stuff. Some of them, I, I think, try to make an argument, and I think there should be an argument made, and you probably have a better one here, that some of that maturity is an upside. When we start working with the fraud data, we're going to figure out a new way to train, to groom, to store this information so it can be of greater value in the long term for our application. And also, you guys will have a better understanding and a more harmonized data set to do other applications with and kind of sell the necessary maturity part as a benefit as opposed to just a hurdle. Is there an approach there? Is there a way to think about that? No, that that is actually an approach that works. It's honest, it's true. There are things that you can do in, in the shaping that will essentially form a discovery phase for something else. Like I'll go in and get your data out for you and it might be painful, but I'll know a lot more about what your data looks like and can advise you on how you need to fix it to make this easier next time. I will learn things within your data that perhaps, okay, here's some more use cases. If you did X, then actually you can enable Y. And I've built you, but it also forms part of the business case, say, you know, we've gone in, we've scraped data together and we've done X. Imagine what we could do if you went back and invested in these other capabilities to upskill your maturity, like we've saved 30% on some task. And that was with the cobbled together data that we have. If you go through these other phases, then you'll have an even stronger business case. So the business case of one forms the business case of another, if you will. So it does work like that. It's not just a hurdle. There are benefits to starting with anything. Yeah, and this this is actually this rings a bell, and I've got a, a question from one of our Emerge Plus readers that's related to this, which I'll I'll ask in a second. But what you're saying really resonates with a recent interview that we conducted with a fellow by the name of Babic, who founded Sentient Technologies out in the Bay Area, and he's now with a big consultancy. But he had mentioned that sort of these initial projects are often going to be the catalysts for modernizing data infrastructure, you know, finding new ways to work together with cross-functional teams, educating executives on AI, that often that maturity isn't going to happen unless a project has been decided on. I kind of brought up with him, it almost feels like it could be a downside. If we have project A, project B, project C kind of sparking off in different corners of the business, and we have kind of data maturity sort of anecdotally sparking off in different corners of the business, maybe that's you know, disjointed and potentially the wrong way of thinking about it. Maybe a smart enterprise would be thinking about digital and AI maturity at a broad level and have a constant template to refer to anytime they do AI. Do you see Scattershot being the only way or even maybe the best way 
Or do you think that some central planning from an enterprise would be ideal? Uh, I wonder what your take is. I think, as I said before, that I think that hybrid approach is much better. Scattershot is great if that's how you got there. We started with one team. We did work with them, and then it trickled through, and the maturity came about. It's perfectly valid, but I do think it is much better to be thinking while you're starting these little things. Somewhere at the top, quote unquote, needs to know this is going on, needs to know this is coming, and then so start out these. And the sooner you do it, because as I said, that long-term strategy is key. The sooner you do it, the less you have to fit all those cobbled together projects back into your strategy, because then you potentially end up with 50 projects whose code don't align, they don't all have metrics, and by the time you get in with your your AI platform, those are kind of redundant, you might have to do them again. You know, you've been getting value from them. So it is that balance of, of meeting somewhere in the middle, uh, the bottom down, that maturity spread versus top down, trying to get a policy, get a framework in place. You know, we're very much strategy motivated and, and it is just much better for long term success. So it's, it's better if we can get our internal data scientists together, our business leadership together and say, look, we're going to start kicking off pilots. We're going to have sandbox projects. We're going to have early deployments. We're going to have things that we're going to move based on these shared priorities. What should we have as our norms for how we modernize or harmonize data? What should we have as our norms for how we retain the learnings from these projects? What should we have as our norm? You know, is that the kind of conversation that should be had before we start these little spark off projects in different corners or what should happen in that conversation? Yeah, I, I think that's right. It doesn't have to necessarily happen before, as I said, but it needs to happen soon because what you find is questions of replicability. If your little small spark worked, someone's going to say, could you do it again? And yes, you could, but you're essentially going to start from scratch. So those conversations about how will you support reuse? How will you ensure some standards? How will you support the data scientists who are, they're all installing different Python libraries on, on their different machines and different versions. How will you have that consistency? It's like sort of any software engineering library. But then with AI, you also need to start looking at governance, responsibility, ethics, uh, data quality. And that can happen in the pockets, but it's so much more of a strong argument or a strong business case if it's constantly coming down from the top. And the data scientists play a big part in that, the quality controllers, the, the strategy teams, you know, the larger the enterprise, the more stakeholders you will have again, and, and the more time it will take to, to pull this together. But those are the conversations that have to happen. What do I need as a data scientist to support my work to make things easier? What do you need as the rest of the business to make this effective and work for you? Yeah, well, I, and and I the golden ideal I think would be that businesses would have that conversation like you said, maybe not ahead of time, but certainly early on. I'm imagining myself as a smaller, you know, AI services, AI product vendor of some kind, you know, maybe I'm an advisor or I'm I sell technology in some way. I go into a business, I'm sort of wondering, should I just push this pilot through and get this thing to work with whatever the initial budgets are or 
should I try to do my best to get some kind of that higher level alignment around what this maturity model is going to look like longer term? Because maybe that's going to let me have a longer project and a bigger customer lifetime value with this client. But at the same time, maybe it's going to take an extra eight months to talk to all the darn C-level people and get on the same page. It really feels like a bit of a catch-22 if I'm selling into these big companies. I want to do right by them. I want to have a good CLV with the client, you know, longer-term value for me, but and, and deliver longer-term value for them. But then again, it's like, I want to move the damn needle and, and kind of get started is there a middle ground? Is there a way to think about that as an outsider selling into or working with big enterprise? You're right, because it, it's a very, it's an interesting point that you can have different perspectives on. So a, a former CEO once told me when I worked back in Australia that there's nothing worse you can do than to lie to a client. And there's so much hype and underperformance in AI. Yeah. You know, we even have this concept of an AI winter you know, we have this yeah. notion that AI could just stop at any moment. And I think the last time I you had me on the podcast, I said, AI is hard and, and that's okay. Yep. This is still true. And from my perspective, from our perspective, you, you have to help clients understand this. You know, with PwC, that honesty, the integrity is, is core to who we are. People trust us with the critical parts of the business. But I'm also aware that in our role, we have the ability to help the client step back to slow down and say, look, these are the things you need to get in place. You know, I'm, I'm very aware that we can have a strategy arm who can come in and, and the implementation team will just take a step back and wait for a year while the strategy team does their thing. And, and for long-term success, that's great. The context that, that you're talking about though, you know, not everyone is in that position. If you have this niche capability you know you you really do need to sell you have a technology i think there is a part where advising on some of these aspects and and you can't you can't entirely shoot yourself in the foot by saying you're not ready for what we have you're not ready for what we have because i think you'd find most people aren't ready for what you're selling and so you then get that scattershot approach that we we just yep, talked yep. about you can get a team so long as the team you're coming in with understand this situation and, and you can help guide them. And by taking that approach that it doesn't have to just start top down, then you can get that in. And then maybe there is room for it and you can get long-term success with one team. But I do agree that being open that this would be so much better if, you know, absolutely what we have can work for you, but we can see opportunities in the rest of the company. You know, it's almost being their cheerleader or coach, yeah. your business sponsor. You can have a great success with them, but you want them to be a success too. You know, we'll build this for you. And yeah, this might not apply in all cases, but we'll build this for you and we'll help you take it to the rest of the business. We'll help you help the rest of the business understand how they need to transform in order to, you know, how do I get some of that? I mean, that, that's something we see very much here. If someone's implementing something, someone will see it and they'll want some of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah. how does your business champion, how do you help them go on and, and become a champion within their own organization. So you're right. It is a balancing act. We are in a good position that we have both those arms and can take our time with that. Yep, yep. But I think other people have a role to play in that too. I, I, I don't agree with just the short-term sell with a capability that, that may fail and, and may not last. 
yeah, the, the middle ground of kind of being the internal advisor, I think sort of different in some sense, but at the same point, it's a big opportunity. I think a lot of, I know a lot of our subscribers, you know, run services or product companies and they're selling into the enterprise. And to be able to be the catalyst that actually gets that smart conversation to happen, Scott, that kind of centralized conversation that that allows a company to actually mature in, in the big picture, that's actually a pretty big and cool responsibility if you're able to help a company that much. And I think there's a big win-win to be had there. Final note, I'll, I'll have to be brief on this one, but I, I want to squeeze it in. Stephen S. is uh, one of our, our many Emerge Plus members here. And the question is, is there a market for digital maturity itself. He's worded it a little bit differently, but you and I have talked about kind of upgrading, you know, an enterprise upgrading their capabilities to be able to adopt AI. Stephen's saying that maybe not all consultancies have AI chops. They're not all going to build algorithms. They're not all going to write Python. Is there a market for selling those AI prerequisites in terms of training teams to work together in terms of, you know, helping structure digital infrastructure in a new way, et cetera? Do you think there's a market purely for that? Or do those companies also have to, quote unquote, do the AI? 100% there, there is. Again, we're in a privileged position, PwC. We say strategy to execution. You know, I work with the implementation team. My team largely does implementation, but we also have strategy. We have the business specialists. And you could easily decouple those. We see a lot of projects where for a large client that don't have their own capabilities, one consultancy firm has done the as is assessment. One has done the then picked that up and done the strategy design, and another has come in to implement. Or a technology vendor will do the implementation at the end. There is absolutely a market for that, for the education about AI, for having those conversations and upskilling people in, in how to have AI conversations to act as that advisor. The as is, the benchmarking, there is a lot of work to be done in AI strategy. And, and I do think if companies are willing to take the time to invest in that, I think it's part of the long-term strategy to understand, you know, we talk about data maturity a lot in, in the data transformation. It's the first stage. Where is your data at and what does it look like right now? So there is a role to be played for only doing that without necessarily being able to implement. If you can help understand what's needed to implement, that's great. If you are able to do a vendor assessment, say, like you work with the client, you put together the RFP and you help evaluate the respondents. But no, I, I don't think implementation capabilities or not having them rather are a barrier to working in that space. Cool. Awesome. So Stephen, hopefully that's a satisfactory answer. Scott, I appreciate you throwing in that little bonus question at the end here. I did. I wanted to make sure I got this one in uh, before the interview was out. But anywho, I know that's all we have for time. Thank you again so much for being able to join us here on the podcast. Thank you, Dan, as always. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. We did three use case episodes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. What did you think about that? Pop me a note on LinkedIn. You can search Dan Fagella, that's F-A-G-G-E-L-L-A on LinkedIn. Pop me a LinkedIn note or send me a request and let me know your thoughts. Do you like more volume, more frequency, something to listen to every day? Or are you just as fine with having two a week or even have a different preference? Let me know. Pop me a note on LinkedIn. I'm interested to know. This was a bit of an experiment for me and I really would love your genuine feedback. For those of you who are actively selling AI products or services, in other words, you pay your bills by making the AI business case. If you're not 
not already an Emerge Plus subscriber, please do consider. Uh, this is a resource we've put together for people who are the catalyst, the people who need to basically get the C-suite to say yes, not with fancy sales tricks, but by finding the right AI application. So this is our AI use case library, our AI white paper library, where you can find ROI information and deep dives into specific use cases, as well as our full breakdown of AI best practices. So our methods for measuring AI ROI, our best articles on adoption and deployment. And these are resources exclusively for Plus members. So if you're involved in AI services, if you're a consultant, even a management consultant working on AI strategy, check out Emerge Plus. It's emerj.com slash P1. That's P is in plus and then the number one, and you can learn more about Emerge Plus there. Otherwise, just be sure to go to Emerge.com, sign up for the newsletter at the bare minimum if you're not already subscribed uh, as it stands. So anywho, that's it for this week. Four episodes, woof. That was a lot of recording, but I hope you enjoyed it. I look forward to catching you next week. We're going to be diving back into use cases next Tuesday for our usual Tuesday use case episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.